The following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church at Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. Well, my name is John. I'm part of the church staff as well, as you probably gathered. And we're starting a new series today called Uncommon. And in a minute, I'll explain this set behind me that our wonderful worship and media team put together. And the way, the way this came about is uh, we read a survey as a staff. Our, our church staff, we read books every month. And then we study them. Sometimes they're leadership books and sometimes Christian topics. And the one that we just finished was on spiritual disciplines. And uh, we're reading another book now called Is, Is God Anti-Gay? But we, we read different books and we discuss them and we study them as a staff so that we can continue to grow. And so we read a survey about the, the, the state of Christians in America. And I tell you, it was really depressing. It was very discouraging to see all these different statistics about the church in America and its health and its condition. And so we thought, well, let's come up with a series that will help people understand what is expected of them to be a Christian. I mean, what is a Christian? What what does God expect of you? What does he expect of us? And what does a Christian look like? And so that's what this series is all about. And so if you're a Christian, obviously it's for you. It's great. It's just exactly what you need. If you're not a Christian, then it's excellent as well because you get to see what you're thinking about getting into. You get to see what is expected of a Christian. And what's even more exciting If you're a non-Christian this morning, you get to see how all your Christian friends are failing in all of these categories. (laughs) So you can go up to them and say, hey, are you a Christian? Yeah, well, why aren't you this? If you're that kind of person. Now, I think a lot of Christians, it starts with this problem. A lot of Christians believe that if you, have an, if you have armor in your closet, then you're a soldier. And so anybody mentions it, you bring out your beautiful sword and you go, look at my sword. It is so beautiful. And you're showing all the different ornate parts of your sword. And then you put it away. And you never actually use it. That'd be like uh, a mechanic. He buys a set of tools. Puts them in his garage. I'm a mechanic. Never uses the tools. Never brings them out. Doesn't know how they work. I'm a mechanic. You get the idea? You have a lot of Christians out there. I'm a Christian. Have no idea what that means, but I'm a Christian. So we're going to explain it. All right? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I ask, Lord, that you would help me today communicate clearly the expectations that you have of us. And not just for information purposes, Lord, but so that we can be transformed by your word, that we can be renewed in our minds, changed in our thinking, so that we would become like you. So, Lord, I pray for 
your word to do its work in us today and for open hearts to receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. What we're talking about in these uncommon things is the baseline. This is the starting point. This is the minimum requirement. This is like spiritual boot camp, all right? This is where you begin. It's the starting point. These are basic requirements. These are things that are expected of everyone. And so if you've been following Christ for at least a year or more, then you, sh- you should see some of these things in your life. Maybe not all of them, but some of them should be already at work in your life that you can see. These are the minimum requirements. These are things that you do automatically. So it's just a part of you. It's a part of your life. It's your routine. This just happens automatically. I remember counseling a couple one time, and the husband was just going on and on and on about how much he loved his wife and he loved his children and this on and on and on and on. And it was as if he wanted some sort of uh, praise and accolades because he loves his family. I'm like, listen, you don't get a reward for loving your family. That's expected. That's what everybody does, right? I mean, isn't that a normal expectation that if you have your wife, you love her, and you have children, you love your children, right? Don't we expect that of everybody? And when you don't see that, it's dysfunctional. There's a problem. So these are things that are expected, that God expects this of everyone, all of us. So let's begin with a question, and the question is this. What should every Christian be asking of God every single day? Every single day, this question is, how can I become more like Jesus? So every single day of your life, you wake up in the morning and you ask yourself that question. How can I become more like Jesus today? Another way to say it would be, how can I please you, Lord, with my life? So right from the beginning, we see that the basic requirement is becoming like Jesus. A Christian is somebody who is in process to become like Jesus. Well, and you look at that and you go, well, that's impossible. (laughs) I'm never going to get that. Well, hold on. Hold on. Don't give up yet. Take a look at Romans 8.29. We'll have it on the screen for you if you don't have a Bible. Romans 8.29 says, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Did you see that? That God chose his children from the beginning For what purpose? To become like his son. God chose you to become like his son. That's his plan for your life. That's what he wants to see from your life. He drew you to himself so that you could be in this process of becoming like his son. 
You see this develop a little bit further in 1 John 3, verses 2 and 3. Dear friends, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. And all who have this eager expectation will expect themselves... Expectation will keep themselves pure just as he is pure. So the expectation of our heart is that we will one day be fully like Jesus. We're not fully like Jesus now, not in his deity, not in the sense that we become God like him, but that we become like him spiritually. And so we're in process on the earth, and one day that will be perfected in Christ. That's the whole purpose, the whole reason for living We are to be like him. And he also adds on to that statement. He says, uh, therefore, we're to be like Christ. Therefore, seek to be pure. Live a life of purity. Why? Because Jesus did. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14. Hebrews 12, 14 says this. Listen, work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Now we'll come back to this in a minute, but I want you to understand a very important Christian metaphor before we go on. But we'll come back to this. This is a very important statement here. One of the metaphors that the Bible uses for Christians and Christianity is to be in Christ. You'll hear that a lot. You'll see that a lot all through the New Testament, this concept of being in Christ. So let me just share some of this with you. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So we are in Christ, literally in Christ. Galatians 3, 27, 28. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. So here we see we are one in Christ Jesus. You'll hear other statements in the New Testament like, we are one with Christ in his body. We are the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. Jesus is the head of the church and we are his body. So the picture that you're getting here that's forming is a woman carrying in her womb a baby child. That's the picture that you get. So you have a woman and she's pregnant. That's the thinking here. It's as if we are carried in the womb of Christ. Now this is a metaphor, right? So not literally. Let me ask you, how much does a woman love that baby? Now you may or may not love the baby, right? You see a woman, she has a baby. It's her baby. You don't know her. Okay, fine. You know, that's nice. You know, who doesn't love a pregnant woman? Great. 
And if that child dies, you may say, oh, that's so terrible. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, but that's not what the mother's going to say. She's going to be undone. She's going to be completely undone, overcome with grief and sorrow because she loves that child so much. We read incredible stories how women who are pregnant of things that they will do to protect that child. They will let nothing harm that baby. They have a relationship with that child. And there's no denying that, right? They talk to that child, pray over that child. They love that child. You want to know how much God loves you? There you are. There you see it. Does God care when you suffer? Absolutely he does. How does she feel when there's something wrong with that child? What stirs emotion in her if, if she's told by her doctor there's a problem with your pregnancy, there's a problem. How does she feel about it? She's very, very, very concerned. How does God feel about you and your suffering? He cares immensely. Does the baby ever worry about being fed? No. No. The mother makes sure of that. In fact, she will sacrifice her own comfort and joy for the sake of that child. Right? Do you ladies remember that ninth month? <laughs> How uncomfortable that was. Does that mother... Think about the child and think, oh, one day I'll have this baby and he'll become a loser. <laughs> he'll get arrested at 16 and be on drugs. It's going to be great. Is that what a mom says? Or every mom believes and hopes for what? children to prosper to be in health what do you think God wants for you the picture here is of us being in Christ and it's an amazing picture In one way, in one sense, it tells us how to treat each other. Would you ever walk up to a woman who's pregnant and say to her, you know, I really like you, you're a wonderful person, but I just hate your baby. The two are one. The woman is the baby, the baby is the woman. They are one unit, they're together. You're going to hate one part of that? It doesn't make any sense. And yet we hate each other in the body or we despise another person and yet they are in Christ. How can that be? How can you say to Christ, I love you, but I hate your baby. I love you, but I despise your church. It doesn't compute. It doesn't make sense. It's, it doesn't ring true. So being in Christ is a big deal. That's an important 
metaphor, an important concept for us to remember. It is how we are positioned in our faith. So with that in mind, let's go back to Hebrews chapter 12 and unpack this a little bit. 12.14, work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life for those who are For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Did you notice the word work twice? Twice were to work hard. The first one is to work hard at living in peace with everyone. Because, quite frankly, some of you are difficult to be in relationship with. And so we work at it with you. And if you're not sure who the you is that I'm referring to, then it's probably you. But we work at living in peace with one another. Sin always puts a strain on that relationship, always makes it difficult. You see, our church functions more like a family than anything else. Now, it's not a family, it's a church. But it's more like a family than it is a business, and it's more like a family than it is a club. That's kind of the the best analogy you can come up with for the church is a family. It's God's family. We are God's children. Okay, so you see that a lot of that's developed in Scripture. So this is the family of God. So that would mean that as the the, uh, top leader, I would be the spiritual father spiritual father of the church, but I don't lead by myself. There's a team of leaders that lead with me, so we lead together, and then the congregation follows. Now imagine this. Imagine you go to a park, and you're just having a nice stroll at this park, a beautiful day, sunny day, beautiful green grass, and you see this family having a picnic. And what catches your eye is sort of weird is the fact that The family's there at the picnic, and they're eating, enjoying, and having a great time. But one of the members of the family is is a a few yards away, sitting off by himself. And so he's over there, and he's eating his own food and doing his own thing, and is all isolated. And so it catches you're curious about that. So you go up there, and you ask the family, you say, hey, what's what's this boy over here? What's he doing? And they say, oh, he just does his own thing. And you'd say, okay, and you walk away and you think to yourself, well, that is one messed up family. (laughs) There's something wrong there. And that's how it is. Anytime someone thinks they can do something better than me, right? That's when that that happens. Oh, I can do this better than John. He doesn't know what he's doing. Ah, Come on, he he is a terrible pastor. He does not know what he's doing. I can do this better. And so then I go off and I do my own thing. And then after a while, it goes on like that. And after a while, somebody comes up to me and they says, hey, what is so-and-so doing over there? And I say, I don't know. Welcome to the dysfunctional church family. (laughs) And so we must work towards unity together. It's work. It's work because we are all sinful. And we all fall short, including me. The next thing he says is that we need to work at... Holiness. Work at becoming like Christ. Did you see that? Work at living a holy life. Is that something that you do? 
Is that in your thinking a lot? Um, is this holy? Is what I'm doing in line with holiness? Is that a recurring thought of yours? A concern of yours? That as you're out throughout your day and you're doing your things, you're concerned about making sure that you're holy? And yet, the writer of Hebrews says that we should work at being godly. We work at godliness so that we can become more like Jesus. Every Christian should wake up in the morning, every single morning, every day, and ask themselves this one question, how can I be more like Jesus today? What can I do to work at becoming godliness, having godliness, being godly? And if you ask that to most Christians, I think their answer would be, I have no idea. I don't know. I'm not sure. How do I become godly? Because it's clear in Scripture that God expects that of me. That that is a normal, regular expectation of God is that his children would be in the pursuit of holiness, godliness, becoming like Jesus. Well, let's take a look at 1 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8. This is the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy. He says, Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths, but rather train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value... Godliness is a value in every way, and it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. He's comparing my training in godliness to physical training. He says there are similar, there's, there's similar pursuits, but they're different in this respect, that training for godliness has value for all of life, and the life to come. So if I train my body to be physically well, that's good in one area. But if I train myself to be godly, that applies to every area of my life as well as eternity. Storing up treasures in heaven. It's training for godliness... And it's good, its benefit is to all of my life. Now, that's really cool, isn't it? That's cool. But then there's this question that comes up right after that is, well, if that's the case, then how do you train for godliness? Because I know physical training involves specific things, and I understand that. But what about godliness? What what sort of things do you do to become godly? How do you train yourself to become godly? And that's what this whole series is about. So next week, I'll explain to you how you train yourself to be godly. Not this week. But we know from Hebrews 12 that godliness will lead us to see Jesus. He says it in a negative sense. You know, he says, those who are not godly will not see the Lord. The opposite is true. Those who are will. 
And that's the reward of godliness. The reward of godliness is an intimate relationship with Christ. Isn't that the hope of every Christian? Doesn't every single Christian long for and hope for an intimate, deep relationship with Jesus? And he's saying that godliness is the key. That godliness will lead to that. And we must train ourselves so that we can get that. He adds one more very important qualifier. Very important. And you got to remember this. Because this, if we all just say, okay, we're going to, as a church, we're going to start training ourselves for godliness. There is a pitfall that you can fall into. And that is religion. Because your pursuit of godliness can become all about the pursuit and not about the goal. Remember, what's the goal? To be intimate with Christ. You see, the Pharisees got it wrong. They practiced all the practices to become godly, but they did it for the sake of godliness, not for the sake of the relationship with Christ. And so religion, you see, people love religion because they can escape the relationship that way. So if I just come to church and, and I do you know, a little bit of worship and I give a little bit of money and I go to a group and I do this and I do that and I'm, I'm spiritually active and busy, then I don't have to give my heart. I don't have to be in relationship with Christ. I could have religion. And so religion will always keep you from intimacy and relationship. But here's the other part that's... that's just as good as that is, is relationship will always keep you from religion. You see, religion will keep you from relationship. A relationship keeps you from religion. And so we have to always remember that my holiness, my godliness comes from Christ and Christ alone. It is not mine and it is not because I'm training myself to be. So I do all the work, I do all the training to become godly. It isn't my achievement because it's only through Christ that I have any of that. And that is a very important thing to acknowledge. You must always keep that in mind. So we train ourselves to be godly so that we can be closer to Jesus. The answer of how to train yourself, it's so practical. We're gonna, I'm going to share with you practical things that you do, and you do those things, you become godly. And I'll share that next week. But let me give you a hint, okay? Because we've talked about all this pursuit of godliness. Let me give you a hint that it has a lot to do with the set behind me. Becoming godly has a lot to do with this, right here. Is that enough of a clue? You'll have to find out next week. This, this behind me plays a major role in you becoming godly. So, 
I think it's possible that you could be here today and you could hear this and you could think to yourself, you know, um, I tried that once. It didn't work. You know, I, 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 I did my best. I, I gave it my all. I, it just didn't work for me. I'm not talking about your, the strength of your will here. I'm not talking about uh, mustering up some kind of faith or energy to accomplish something here. And I'm probably not even talking about what you think godliness is. You see other things and you say, oh, that's godliness. And you're probably not right. So keep an open mind. Everything that I will share with you is absolutely doable. And how do I know that? Because I'm doing that. I'm doing those things. And other people in our church are doing those things. They're not impossible things. They're not super difficult things. These are things, simple things that you can do every single day that will develop inside of you an intimacy with Christ and godliness. In fact, I'm going to show you how to read the Bible in such a way that you will know what's in there and can bring it out at any point. Because most of you are very unprepared. You can't be used for ministry because you're not ready. You're not prepared. It's like a soldier. He's got all the, all the armor. He's got the sword. But he doesn't know how to use any of it. And so God is looking. Oh, I need some soldiers to go here and do this ministry. And nobody can go because nobody is ready. Nobody knows what to do. So I'm going to show you how I'll, I can say things like, um, where is the story of the, the man who was born blind and Jesus healed him. You say, oh, that's John chapter 9. Where is the story of Jesus uh, meeting with uh, Nicodemus? Oh, that's John chapter 3. I'm going to show you that you can have the word of God in you so much like that that you can draw those things out and then that becomes a powerful weapon. The Bible says of itself, of the armor of God, the only offensive part is the sword, and that is the word of God. So rather than send you out from here into the world to be in ministry and serve the Lord and where he's called you, ill-equipped, unprepared, and failing constantly, we're going to put you through spiritual boot camp. And by the end of this, you are going to be prepared, you are going to be equipped, you are going to be ready to do what God has called you to do. And I'm hoping and I'm praying that God is going to place a call, a unique call on some of you to do some pretty amazing things for his kingdom. But you got to know these basics. Those of you who have been through boot camp in the military, right? Military people, we've got lots of them here. And you went through boot camp. Was, was that boot camp training the detailed, specialized approach to warfare? No. No, right? They taught you how to put on your underwear, right? <laughs> Remember that? They taught you how to brush your teeth, how to shower, right? They taught you all these basic things, but without that, you could never have the other. First day of boot camp, they don't hand you an M16 and say, let's see what you can do. You'll kill people. 
here's a tank. What can you, what do you got? You know, so you got to have these basic foundational skills before we entrust you with ministry. And so that's what this is all about. That's what this whole series is about. And we'll start next week. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that you would, by the Holy Spirit, draw us into intimate fellowship with you. That's what we want, Lord. That's the cry of our heart. And and my heart goes out today, Lord, to people who are here and and they, they think their heart is a heart of stone. They feel nothing. They read the Bible and it's empty. They pray and they wonder if it's doing anything. They don't really enjoy worship. It's a drudgery. Lord, I'm praying that you would turn all of that around through this series. That you would light a fire in hearts. There would be something supernatural and powerful that would take place. And that Christians who are lukewarm, ill-equipped, weak, would become equipped, would become strong, and would be develop a passion and a fire to serve you and to be engaged in ministry. Help us, Lord, over these next few weeks. In Jesus' name, amen.